Well, hey, I'm really glad that you're here today. This is a good place to be, not just on a weekend, but to come together with God's people and to be together and to grow and to, to step into all that God has for us. You get to be a part of that today. If you got a note sheet when you came in today, I want you to go ahead and get that out. And if you have a Bible, whether it's digital or physical, I want you to get that out as well. And I want you to turn to the book of Exodus. Uh, it's just the second book of the Bible, Genesis and then Exodus chapter 20. And uh, we're going to be diving into that today. And if Exodus 20 just even kind of rings a bell to you, like, like what is that? Uh, Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. And we began a series last weekend, Pastor John kicked that off, of looking at these Ten Commandments. We're calling it guardrails. And these are the instructions and the commands and the desires that God gave to his own people. But this is not just about something, you know, several thousand years ago. This is for us today. I know maybe when you hear Ten Commandments, it's things like, oh, the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, and what does this look like? And we're going to take a deep dive into these over these next weeks, because there's, there's something life-giving in this for each of us today. Here in 2022, uh, that God wants to speak into that. And so, again, we started this series, Guardrails, and looking forward to this. I'm, I know we've all been up in the mountains or on the coast, and maybe you're driving around a place that's maybe a little treacherous. It's got kind of a steep drop-off or a cliff, and they'll have these guardrails there, right? And it kind of helps us, you know, kind of have a visual of, hey, the road's ending there, and we want to stay within those guardrails. And I remember one time uh, a few years ago, we were driving up towards, uh, towards Pinecrest Lake, and just past Little Sweden, if you know where that is, the kind of toboggan hill, there's this the road kind of curves to the left, and it's the first of the real kind of serious drop-offs, and it's several hundred feet down, and you can just see it kind of going deep down into the, into the valley there, and there's this guardrail there. And so as we were coming up to that, uh, this car kind of pushed right up against us, and I, I don't know about you, when someone starts like right on your tail, you have a couple of responses. One is, I'm slowing down and this person's just gonna have to deal with it, right? Or there's sometimes a response that I do. It's like, I hate having someone on my tail, so I'm gonna speed up. And so I, I sped up coming into that corner and ended up going into that, that curve way too fast. And I could feel the car pulling. You know that moment you know, we all have where it's like, oh no. And actually my right hand tires slid off of the asphalt into the gravel. And if you know anything about defensive driving, that is not the time to put the brakes on, right? Because you can slide on the slide. And so it was just this, oh my goodness. And then the car kept pushing uh, more and we could just feel the, the centrifugal force just pushing it outwards and ended up, ended up all the way against the guardrail kind of sliding up against it. And even in that moment, I could feel the car begin to shift that way. And if you've ever had those moments where like, Tensions are running high and you're in this moment, it's like, oh my goodness. And it's like time just slows down, right? Just, and it's almost like, you know, that, you know, that sound effect that goes on. In fact, I heard that sound effect, because it wasn't me, it was the Fast and Furious movie that I was watching. Sorry about that, I got a little carried away. So that did not happen to me. Uh, we've seen that in the movies though, where it's just like, oh my goodness, and, and the guardrails are there. So I know we've been in those places before, but here's the reality. I don't know anyone 
I've never had a conversation like this where someone like talking about guardrails and, you know, kind of safety things on the road goes, I, I can't believe Caltrans. I mean, they just, I'm just so tired of them telling me what to do. Thou shalt not drive off the cliff. Like who do they think they are, right? We don't say that. We don't look at Caltrans and go, they are such joy killers telling me what I can and can't do. What if I want to go off the cliff? What if I want to drive up? Like nobody does that because we don't see guardrails as limiters. We see them as keeping us safe and keeping us on course. And the Ten Commandments give us the same thing. They aren't limitations. They're not trying to steal things from us. They're actually trying to give us, like, you know, our, our life. They're, they're for our benefit in this. And the challenge, though, is that somehow in the course of history, we've come to believe that if we just follow the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, if we'll, if we'll do the big ten, right? And here's the challenge. We're not even sure we know all ten of the Ten Commandments, Right? If I gave you a slip of paper and said, write down the Ten Commandments, you'd go, like, thou shalt not murder, and like adultery's bad, and lying, and, and then we kind of get tied up with a few things. But if we're supposed to obey these ten, and we're not even really sure what they are, something's off in this. But here's what we've come to believe, that if we'll just follow them, if we'll obey them perfectly, if we'll keep them no matter what, that following those 10 are the way to know and to please God. That if we can somehow do it, that we kind of get this star and God will say, now I will love you and now I will care for you and there's a place for you in my kingdom. But the reality is that the 10 commandments are not the path to God. We don't follow them so that we can earn God's favor. In fact, we will never be perfect in keeping them completely, ever. But it's not so that we walk away and just go, oh, well, if we can't keep them, it, it doesn't really matter. No, they really do matter. Because the Ten Commandments are not the condition of his love towards me and his relationship towards me. The Ten Commandments are the evidence that the relationship is already there. Let me say that again, kind of wrap your brain around this. The Ten Commandments are not the condition of his love. Like, well, you messed up on three of them, so I won't love you. It's like, but if you'll get those three, then I will. The Ten Commandments aren't the condition of his love towards me, and they're not the basis of his relationship with me, but they're the evidence that the relationship already exists. Th think about this. God didn't give the Ten Commandments to the world and say, do these and I'll love you. Do these or thou shalt not, don't do these as the case may be, and you'll find favor with me. That's not what happened. God gave the Ten Commandments to his people, his chosen ones. These were the people that were already in covenant relationship with him. These were the people that he had saved and rescued, and he was bringing them to the promised land. These were the people that were already his children and his people, and he gave these out of this great love he had for them and a desire to protect them and guard them to live a, a full life in him. That's, that's why he gave them. Think about it this way. If you have kids, I don't make rules for your kids, right? 
That's your job as parents. I, I don't make rules for your kids. However, I made rules for my kids. Why, why did I do that? Because I love them and I want the best for them. Sometimes it's a matter of keeping them safe physically. Sometimes it was emotionally, spiritually, relationally. We have these rules that we put in place in our house because we want to see them become healthy, strong, fully functioning adults. That was our desire. We wanted to see them get to adulthood. And sometimes that was a little iffy, you know? But we wanted to see them get to adulthood and be safe and accomplish, you know, all that their potential would be. So we put those rules in place out of this incredible love for our kids. But I want you to hear this. Obeying our rules didn't make them our kids. It wasn't, well, if you guys will obey these rules, then, then you know, then you can be our kids, you can be our children. They were our kids and they were deeply loved before they ever even knew about the rules. And it's the same thing with God and his commandments. We keep thinking these things are in place so that God can turn bad people into good people. But that wasn't God's intentions with this. Because if you think obeying the 10 commandments will, will make you good, like good compared to what? Good compared to God? It just doesn't work that way. Rules and, and all these commandments don't accomplish that. God's not trying to make bad people good. He's trying to keep free people free. And let that sink in for a moment. These rules aren't here to keep us, or to turn us from bad to good, but they're guardrails to keep us safe and on track and free. The commandments actually make us aware of our deep need of a savior, of, of Jesus because we know that we can't meet all of these things, so we come to him. We need someone who can rescue us and save us. The commandments come out of that relationship and allow freedom and life to grow in us. So last week, Pastor John kicked all this off and he took the first two commandments uh, kind of together because they, they follow close after one another. And the first commandment is this, and these are my words, is that God gets first place. You'll have no other gods before me, it was that thing. So. He's, John put it this way, God's, God desires to be on the throne of my life. Not me fighting him for it, that he is the one and only. And the second commandment follows along with that, it's that you won't have any idols in your life. In other words, we're not gonna reduce God or we're not gonna minimize him and make him manageable and kind of put him in our own image type of thing. It's like, no, 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 no. God's on the throne and there is, he's not irreducible, we can't, take him down. So we're going to keep him there on the throne of our life. And that brings us to the third commandment. And it's actually tied to the importance of the first two. And this is about who God is. It's about his character. And it's about how I live my life in light of who he is. Now in the New Living, Exodus 20, if you're there, verse 7, here's what it says. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Now some of you thinking, I don't know that I recognize that one. Here's how you probably grew up hearing it in some way, shape, or form. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And you've probably heard that. A parent might have said that to you, a grandparent might have said that to you, a Sunday school teacher, someone in your life, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And we've heard that, here's the question, 
what does it really mean? And I think this one is often misunderstood because maybe you thought this commandment had a very specific and a very limited application. And maybe it came down to not saying, oh my God, when you're shocked or excited, or saying, Jesus Christ, when someone cuts you off in traffic, right? Some of you are going, yeah, okay, I know, I've done that before, right? And so we've kind of limited it to this very specific thing. In fact, if you had to rewrite this commandment, most people would put it this way, thou shalt not cuss. <laughs> that, that's what we've reduced it to, don't, don't cuss. Now, there's some truth to that, and we're gonna just kind of dive into that just for a moment. But can I tell you, that is not even close to the full intent of what God desired and what God desires for us. There's something so much more that is tied into this. And it's not, it's not limiting, it's freeing. In fact, it actually brings our life together. It actually allows us to live in a place of integrity. Because this commandment is about far more than how you use God's name as a vocabulary word. It's about how we take his name as a way of life. Let me say that again. It's not about how we use his name as a vocabulary word, but it's how we take his name as a way of life. So what is this commandment really saying? How is this leading us to a place of life and freedom? It, it's really about keeping what we say and what we believe in line and in sync with how we live and how we operate. It's about, again, this sense of integrity in our relationship with God. So what does it mean, maybe just like in a nutshell, to take God's name in vain? Let me give you just a statement, and this will summarize it, and then we're gonna dive into some more. Taking his name in vain is to use God's name or his character in such a way that his name is weightless, futile, useless, pointless, worthless, idle, or powerless. It is to flippantly, or even with intent, to empty God's name of holiness and worth and wonder. It's to trivialize God's majesty with my words, with my actions, or with my life. So there are two main parts of this commandment, his name, and then the misuse or the take in vain part. So we're gonna look at each of those just, just for a moment. So if you have your sheet, write this down for number one. I'm commanded to live in the reality of God's name and character. I'm commanded to live in the reality of God's name and character. Back about a year ago, we did uh, a series called God Is, and we looked at the different names of God throughout, throughout the Bible. And we saw that names are important. And this is how we identify ourselves as well as how we identify other people. And so think about if you're a parent or if you're gonna become a parent or those things, think about how we name our kids. We tend to, to name them not based on what a name means, like at its core level. Now we may look that up, right? It, it, if you've had kids or you've been in that naming process, you'll be like, oh, I really like this name. And then you'll go to those places. Oh, it means this. Oh, that's, that's kind of cool. But you don't go to the other place and go, we, we want a name that represents this and find out. It's kind of the other way around. And, and we want to know like how it sounds with our last name. Like, like does it really fit? <clears throat> so when we were uh, pregnant with our oldest, Hannah, 
we had some good friends down in Fresno, and uh, they were having uh, a child at the same time. And again, they were born fairly close together, and his name was Carson. It's like, that's really cool. We would never consider that, because Carson Larson doesn't, just doesn't, you know. <laughs> it's like, ah, you could really, really like that name, but it's like, ah, it doesn't fit. You, know, you have to say it and write it and do the middle name, you know, all those kinds of things. So we want to kind of go with what sounds good with our name, but we might have a family member that we're naming or even someone from the Bible that means something to us or, or what's popular. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with any of those. This isn't a, a message on how to choose a name for your child. But the truth is, is this, that names carry weight and they have meaning and names matter. And especially when you go into scripture, there are more than 100 names for God through the Old and the New Testament. Can you believe that? Over a hundred names of God. Like, wh why are there so many? It's because the names highlight a characteristic, an attribute of God. Not just a new way to put some vowels and consonants together, but they highlight something. And when it comes to God, one name doesn't fully contain who he really is that his names help us to understand more of his personality and more of his promises. And we see in scripture that he is one, he is the one and only God, and yet he expresses himself, uh, one of the names is Elohim, which means that he's the creator and the designer of the universe. He's addressed in scripture as Adonai, which is that he's the Lord and he's the master of all. When our problems seem insurmountable, he promises peace as Jehovah Shalom. And when we finally are ready to surrender and to praise him, he, 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 we see him as Jehovah Jireh and discover that he is the one who provides from beginning to end. We find that he is our shepherd, that he is all powerful, that he's the faithful one. Listen to what King David wrote in Psalm 9. It says, those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. Those who know your name. Notice it doesn't even say names because we're not talking again about vowels and consonants, but it's about knowing you, truly knowing you. And in the Old Testament to do something in someone's name or to call upon someone's name was serious business. And you see it over and over in scripture, to call upon the name of the Lord, to call upon the name of the Lord. Again, it wasn't our pronunciation that matters, is that we were entering into the reality and the presence of God himself. And so when the Bible directs us this way, we're invited into this fullness and reality of God to come right into our situation, right into our lives. Let me give you a couple passages just to kind of bring this around. In Psalm 8, David wrote this, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth, and your glory is higher than the heavens. He goes on to write, let them all praise the name of the Lord, for his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth and the heaven. In Isaiah, the prophet wrote, O Lord, I will honor and praise your name, for you are my God, and you do such wonderful things. You planned them long ago, and now you have accomplished them. So back in the Old Testament, they wouldn't even pronounce, like literally say, the, the consonants and the vowels of the name of God, his kind of overarching, he is the one God name, Yahweh. They, they wouldn't even say the word. 
But I don't think that's what God was really intending for us. He wanted his characteristics and his attributes, the reality of who he is, to remain holy and special and not just be one more word that we speak. Not just another, eh, just kind of go along with the flow, but something holy and special. And God's name reminds us that in the scripture, someone's name tells decisive things about them. Not just labels, but that person's reality. So when we think of don't take the name of the Lord in vain, what it means is don't take God or anything that his name expresses about his reality in vain. Because he is the I am, that he's absolute, that he's holy, that he's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is expressed in the reality and the physical form of Jesus, that he's the word of God. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the alpha and the omega. That's who he is. It's his name, his reality, his godness. So this commandment is not just about don't cuss, it's about something so much more and so much deeper and profound for us. But let me take just a moment to say that it also does include how we speak and what we say. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, don't use foul or abusive language, but let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. What is he telling us? He's saying, let the name and the character of God, which is at work in you and in me, come out even in our words. Because when the name of God, his character and his reality, remember, we're not just talking about vowels and consonants. But when the name of God becomes just another swear word, just another crude phrase, or something we throw out when we're excited or surprised, we've taken his name, his character, which is precious and holy, and we've cheapened it. God isn't attempting to give us rules for our speech. He's giving us guardrails so that we can speak and act with life and in hope to be the redeemed people he loves and to walk in union and relationship with him. And he's saying when, when what, we, what we say we believe, with what we say is true to us, who God is, doesn't match up with how we live and how we speak, something is off. So we come to church, right? It's great. God calls us to gather together and to worship together and to open his word together. All those things are wonderful. And we come and go, yeah, that's what I believe. And we walk out and the rest of the week, our words and our actions and our lives don't match up with what we say we believe. That's what this commandment is all about. Bringing integrity, bringing a, a linking and a sinking up of our belief and truth and how it gets expressed in our words, actions, and deeds. And God says, man, I, I have so much for you to live in that place of integrity, to experience freedom and life in that. So write this down for number two. I am commanded to represent God in all I say and all I do. I know this is kind of challenging when we see the 10 commandments but understand, God isn't saying, hey, I got a few really good ideas for you. That's not how he expresses this. He didn't say, 
hey Moses, I want you to bring these 10 suggestions to the people. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, no worries. He's saying, no, these are commandments for you. These are actually firm guardrails because what I have in store for you is so much more than what you're experiencing and living now. Trust me in this. Walk in these ways and you will find life. So remember, this commandment is not just about swearing. It's a part of it, but kind of like step one. It's the obvious thing. We can begin to honor God and who he is with the way we talk, but the more challenging step is our own hearts. In fact, go back to Exodus chapter 20. Are you there? Look at verse seven again. Have you seen it there? Do you notice that it doesn't even mention our words? It doesn't even mention speaking. It doesn't say, if you have a King James, thou shalt not speak in such a way or talk in such a way or use words. It doesn't say anything about that. It says, do not take or misuse the name of the Lord. It's something more. It's about our very hearts. It's about our affections. And God doesn't want us to miss the real thing, the real relationship, the true intimacy and connection with him by simply going through the motions, by jumping through empty religious exercises or miss the real thing that's going on, miss what is truly deep, what is truly important. So when our kids were young, um, anytime they would have their birthdays, right, which I don't know if you know, they come every year. It's amazing. And so we wanted to make sure that we videotaped our kids' birthdays. I mean, when they were hanging out with friends, having fun, when they were opening the presents, when they were blowing out the candles, everyone was singing happy birthday. Man, we had the video camera. And this is a little indicator of uh, my age. It was like when you had the full-on like VHS tape in there and doing the whole thing. Not like your phone. This is easy. You know, we had the big camera, you know, and we we're doing it. And so I'm, I'm experiencing the birthday through this little, you know, thing that would come and flap out and I'm just watching, making sure I get everything. And, and I thought about this when I was writing that. It's like, you know, that was a long time ago and I, I don't believe we've ever watched the videotape of any of those kids' birthday parties. Your parents, you know what that is. You make sure you get it all, but you never go back and watch it again, but you got it just in case. But I, I remember at the end of those parties and the kids leave and you start winding down and there's times you sit back and go, I was there, but I actually kind of missed the party. Because my whole view, my whole experience was through this. So I was a spectator, but I wasn't a participant. Now it's probably an over-exaggeration because I was there and all that, but Sometimes, have you ever felt like you're there, but you, you kind of missed it? You were more standing on the sidelines. Well, God's leading us to not miss what's most important, to see the bigger picture and embrace what really matters. It's like when Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember that from, from Matthew 5, and, and he would actually mentioned the Ten Commandments. He said things like this. He said, you've heard it said, don't murder. And you know what all the religious people did and the people listening going, oh yeah, yeah, no, we, <laughs> Jesus, believe me, we don't murder. You know, we're, we're not getting into that. And Jesus says, you've, you've heard that. Ten Commandments. Yeah, absolutely. He said, but I tell you, don't even in anger call someone a fool. And they're going, whoa, what? <laughs> 
wait a minute, Jesus, are, are you putting like me being angry at someone and calling them an idiot and a fool and calling them, are you putting that in the same category as murder? Like, hang on a second here. But understand what Jesus was doing. Because what, what, what we're so good at is taking the, the rules and the commandments going, oh, I, I don't do that. And Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah, you're obeying the, the letter of the law and you're missing the spirit of the law. I don't want you to murder. But guess what? Nobody just goes out and, I don't know what happened, I just murdered someone. It was just like weird, I never even thought about it in my life. He goes, no, I know where it comes from. It goes from unresolved anger and bitterness and beginning to demean someone and seeing them as less than and beginning to categorize them as a fool or stupid or an idiot and pretty soon they're not even really human anymore and we've taken all that element. And Jesus is saying, God's looking at what's going on in here not just the letter of the law. Or Jesus said to them, don't commit adultery. They're like, oh, Jesus, you don't even have to mention that one. We are not committing adultery. And then he said, but I tell you, if you even look with lust. And they went, well, wait a minute, hang on. Because guess what? Adultery just doesn't start somewhere. It starts in the heart. It starts with lust. It starts with something deeper. Jesus was taking the commandments from this outward action to an inner heart issue. Now remember what it means to misuse or take his name in vain. I gave this to you earlier, I wanna repeat it to you. It's to use God's name or character in such a way that it's weightless, futile, useless, pointless, worthless, idle, or powerless. It is to flippantly or with intent empty God's name and his character and who he is of holiness and worth and wonder. It's to trivialize his majesty with my words, my actions, and my life. And can I tell you, God's desire is for us to embrace this right now in the world that we live in. Our lives should look different from the world and the culture around us because he desires to do that deep work, not just outwardly in our behavior, but where it really starts in our hearts. And Jesus actually gave us an amazing handle on this. He was teaching one day and the religious leaders arrived to question him and they were all uptight about the rules, about washing hands. They had this whole set of things like you had to wash a certain way and you had to eat a certain way and the ceremonial process that they had to go to. And and they were looking at Jesus going, your disciples aren't even doing this. You call yourself a teacher and a religious leader and a rabbi. How in the world can you let this go on? And Jesus called them to go beyond the surface and look at their hearts. And here's what he said to them. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. It's saying all the right words, it's believing all the right things, but our hearts are far from God, going through the motions and missing the relationship. And God desires for our words, our actions, and our lives to represent and reflect the goodness and holiness of our Heavenly Father, that there is integrity in us. In the early years following Jesus' time on earth, those who put their faith in him were not called Christians initially. Do you know what they were called? They were called followers of the way. That was literally what the people that were going, I'm going after Jesus. That's what they called them, followers of the way. And here's something crucial about that. They weren't called believers of the way. 
followers. It wasn't just a, oh yeah, I believe in that guy, but I'm kind of doing my own thing. No, I'm following him. A little later, we read in Acts chapter 11 that these followers in the city of Antioch were first called Christians. And here's what's amazing, if you, if you look that up, that name wasn't what they called themselves. In fact, it was most likely an insult for those who were against them. Because Christian means like a little Christ. Like, oh, you're like, you're like a little Jesus. That's what it meant. And so these people in the community would look at these followers of the way and go, oh, all these little, little Christs running around, all these little Jesuses running around. And it was meant to be demeaning and insulting to them. It'd be like someone pointing to you at work and saying, there goes little Jesus. But I want you to think about what brought that around. Their words, their actions, their lives reflected and represented the one they were following. That's the intent of this third commandment, that people would see a reflection of Jesus in me and in you. I wanna share with you as we start coming to a close, a prayer, um, and I don't want you to close your eyes on this. In fact, we're gonna post this online if you'd like to have it. I have a copy of this uh, on my iPad. I have a copy of this uh, at, on my desk uh, in my office. Um, we've walked our staff through this. We have handed this out to volunteers, but it's called the Apprentice Prayer. And it was written by a good friend of mine named Bill Gaultier, and there's something so powerful in recognizing that Jesus invites us to come and to be his apprentice, to let our lives reflect him. And here's how this prayer goes. I'm gonna encourage you when we post it to download it, to, to print it out or put it on a phone or something, and, and even just to read it every day as you start your day. Going, this is my desire for my life today. And here's how this prayer reads. Jesus, I love you. Father, I adore you. Holy Spirit, I rely on you. Thank you, Jesus, for your cross. Thank you, Father, for your eternal love. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence and your power. Lord Jesus, you're my teacher. And I seek to live as your apprentice in all that I do today. My life is your school for teaching me. So I give up my agenda for this day and I submit myself to you and to your purposes. In all situations, I abandon outcomes to you, praying your will, your way, your time. Father, I ask you to guide the events of today and use them to make me more like Jesus. I ask and trust you, Lord, that you won't let anything happen to me or to my family today except that it passes through your loving hands. So no matter what problems, hardships or injustices I face today. Help me not to worry or get frustrated, but instead to relax in the yoke of your goodness. Yes, today I will rejoice because I'm in your kingdom. You love me and you're teaching me. My Lord, I devote my whole self to you. I wanna be all and only for Jesus. Today I love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, and all my relationships. Today I depend on you, Holy Spirit, not on my own resources. Help me to keep in step with you. Today I look to love others as you love me, Father, blessing everyone I meet, even those who mistreat me. Today, I'm ready to follow you, Jesus. Amen. Isn't that powerful?
you and I have been invited to be an apprentice to Jesus, to learn from him. But I know that some of you are maybe sitting here today going, Dave, this is so good. But Dave, I have failed and failed and failed in representing Jesus in my life, at school, at home, my marriage, my workplace. Dave, there is this disconnect between what I say I believe and even sitting here today in church saying, yay God, and how I live out there. Can I just tell you something? (laughs) I get it. Because I've done the same thing. And I sometimes still do the same thing. What I know and what I believe doesn't sometimes work itself out into words or attitudes or actions in my life. Because the Bible even tells us that we all fall short. That we live in that reality. We are imperfect and fallible. But that doesn't mean we go, I can never do it, so I'm just going to throw in the towel and forget it. No, that's not it. Because here's the good news. Our imperfection drives us to Jesus, the one who does offer us forgiveness and grace and transformation. The commandments are not my list of rules to check off so God will love me. He gives these to me and to you, his sons and daughters, to show his love and mercy and to bring us to Jesus. Let me close with these words from Paul. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Can I tell you guys, this is only possible in Jesus. We can put our faith and trust in him, surrender our will and our way, and live in the freedom of his guardrails in this journey to him. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, today we just want to say thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to give us these commandments, to give us these guardrails. Because your your desire is not to shut us down. Your desire is to set us free. To have lives that that honor you, to to worship you fully, to live in the freedom of, of truth, to be free from those ugly parts of us that lead us to to anger and adultery and coveting and feeling like we don't have enough and envying those, I mean, all those things, we, we battle those, but your desire is, is inviting us into something more, something free, something true. And I pray today, Lord, that we would live our lives by your strength and by your power in a way that shows what we believe and what we know to be true in you gets lived out in our words, our actions, our attitudes, our very lives. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me leave you with this. Where is there a disconnect between your belief 
and the true condition of your heart. Because maybe there's an area that you need to surrender to him and let Jesus do that reforming, renewing work in your thoughts, in your heart, in your life. King David wrote this, so may the words of my mouth, my meditation thoughts, and every movement of my heart be always pure and pleasing and acceptable before your eyes. That's my prayer for you this week. Would you stand with me? As you head out, let me just remind you of a couple things. If you're new to new life, stop by starting point. We'd love just to say hi, connect with you, and give you that gift. Second, uh, if you want to find out more about uh, our Harvest Carnival, our Harvest Fest, and the women's event coming up Friday night, those tables are, are in the back. And the last thing is this, last thing. If you're here today and say, Dave, I just, I just want someone who will pray with me just for a moment. We're going to have some of our team here in front, and we'd love to just be able to pray with you today. So if that's you, come on up, and it would be an honor to do that. Hey, thanks for being here today. Thanks for worshiping today and being part of our family. God bless.